Thank you again, music team, for leading us, tuning our hearts. It's good to see you. Uh, you know, I think a year or two ago, when we say that phrase, it's good to see you, we kind of sort of just had a little phrase and we kind of tossed it around. But when I say it's good to see you, I actually mean it. I mean, it is good to see you. Uh, praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this live stream is great, but it's a very one-sided. Uh, in other words, uh, you see us, but we don't get to see you. And so it is wonderful to see many of you. And Kimberly, my wife and I look forward to meeting you and getting to know you and, and not only your names, but getting to know you. Uh, it's so important. Hope. Hope is like Gatorade for the soul. Uh, this isn't a commercial for Gatorade, by the way. Uh, I could have said water. It's interesting that we can live for an extended period of time without food, but it's very difficult for us to live very long without water. But I say Gatorade because of the electrolytes and the replenishing fact that it has to our bodies, and hope is a lot like that. It's a, a lot like Gatorade is, but hope is that much for our souls, for our inner being. Where do you get your hope? Why do you have hope? Now, of course, we're in church, and so we know the Sunday school answer. The Sunday school answer is God or Jesus. But I mean, more specifically, can we be more specific, more particular? Why do we have hope? What is the reason for it? And before we get too far, maybe it's a good idea to even unpack what hope means. What, what is hope? Uh, well, we have this Im imagination. It's kind of like the movie screen in our mind, and we project ideas and images onto our imagination. Hope projects ideas. It, it's an expectation that something good, the possibility of a positive outcome in the future. That's what hope is. Hope is the reason why you try every key until you get it. Hope is the reason why you keep looking in the same place, and then you go back and you look again in the same place, because you have hope. The other day, I did that. I went through, I was looking, I went through every room, and then I went, huh, I went and did the whole thing again. Hope is why you take that other step. You take one more step. You go and you, you keep trying. Hope is the reason you hold on just a little bit longer. But sometimes uh, hope is tiny or barely there at all. And that was the case for the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was sitting at the intersection of hope and despair. In the middle of this book of Lamentations, the third chapter, the biggest chapter, in the middle of his life experience, uh, Jeremiah, smack dab in the middle, admits that he has lost hope in God. 
Turn with me in your Bibles to Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. If, if you're, it's in the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Sometimes it's easy to find it if you kind of memorize those and, and get the rhythm of it. So Lamentations chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. It's like poison, he says. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. You know, lamentations is uh, really poetry. It's difficult to comprehend when we read it in English, but it's poetry. And here in chapter 3, we notice that the stanzas, the verses, are one sentence. Back in chapter 1, they were th each verse was three sentences. But by the time we get to chapter 3, so it's poetry, there's this deep emotion, but meticulous thought that's going into it as well. And by the time he gets to this section in chapter 3, he's got one sentence perverse because, perverse because it's like he's run out of breath. It's like Israel has run out of strength. And it's down to one verse, one sentence. And he's retreated into his mind. He's retreated into his thoughts. He has no shalom. He has no peace. And his struggle is now a mental struggle. And he admits that. And he has now found himself at this junction where his hope in the Lord seems to be gone, and he has what could be called bitterness and despair. There are two things that influence him, two influencers that persuade him. The first is his experience. The experiences that he has had, and, and to be sure, they're, they're awful, really. He has witnessed the destruction and ruin of his city and of his community, and it has, his experiences have plowed the field of his emotions, and it's legitimate because Israel and, and, and Jeremiah feel this way, it's legitimate because the experiences were bad, so it makes sense. The other influencer, so that's the influencer of experience, the circumstance that he sees and has experienced. The other influencer that's persuading him is that of his memory or remembering. He confesses that he thinks about this all the time. He continually thinks about it. I remember, he says, I remember. I continue to think about it. And so he confesses the mental struggle that he has with camping on the negative. And to be sure, friends, it is important for us to remind ourselves that wickedness and evil do exist. The spiritual forces of wickedness do exist. 
But human beings also have a responsibility because we have free will. And so human beings, we can be kind and loving towards each other. We have the capacity to do that. But we also have the capacity as human beings to be harmful towards one another by the choices and decisions we make. And that's what he was experiencing here. And you know, hope can disappoint even for us in our current circumstance. Where you place it, why you have it. You know, going into COVID a year ago, we were placing our hope in certain things. Maybe we were placing our hope in, in if, we just, if we have a certain amount of information, or if we have all the information, then it'll be good. As long as I have all the information... You place your hope on information. Or control. I need to have control. I need to be in control. I need to have control. I'm going to try and control everything. My hope is in control. Or maybe education. If I just get another degree or another course or another... And so on. And then going into the COVID, we maybe we hope, well, we hope it won't be so bad. We hope it won't last very long. And we place our hope in all of these things. And now, especially, friends, as we are, Lord willing, coming out of COVID, it's so important to ask the question, where are you placing your hope? Why do you have hope? Are we hoping that, well, if I get enough money, if I have an education, if I get a job, if I place my hope there, well, what happens, you know, if I finish school, if I can just... But we know that that can be disappointing. More personally, maybe you have a son or a daughter, and you hope that they will come to follow Jesus Christ, that they will make a decision to follow Jesus as Lord. Or maybe you're hoping for health and a good prognosis. But you're disappointed. And maybe disappointed in God, like Jeremiah says. And maybe bitterness and despair set in. Despair, so you feel like giving up, or bitterness, so you actually have sort of a, a, an aggressive or an active but negative attitude. You know, uh, we have these two thinkers. Dr. Uh, Daniel Kahneman is a Nobel Prize winner, and he's a professor emeritus at Princeton University, and he talks about the fast thinker and the slow thinker. I like to call them the jumper and the slow walker. Well, lazy walker, really. The thing is about our fast thinker or our jumper is that we make decisions and we make conclusions very quickly based on only a few bits of information. We jump to a conclusion. And one of those conclusions that we jump to is what Dr. Kahneman, uh, he uses this acronym, YZ Addy. What you see is all there is. That's what Jeremiah was going through at the time. What we can sometimes go through in our life experiences, we jump to the conclusion that the experience and the circumstance we're in, what you see is all there is. The other day, uh, Kimberly and I were at the um, National Music Center, I think is the official term. I think it's Studio Bell. I thought it was for Steve Bell. It's not for Steve Bell. 
Oh, maybe I was wishing it was Steve Bell. Anyway, we get to this one display, and there's this wooden box with an antenna sticking up and then this metal loop around it over there. And as I got close to it, the thing started making noise. I'm like, ooh. So I got a little closer, and it started going, ooh. So then I started moving my hand up and down, and it started making a bit more noise. Then the gentleman came out, and he noticed that I was intrigued, so he demonstrated, he showed me how this thing worked. It's actually a proximity detector. As you get, your hand gets closer to the antenna, the closer it gets, the higher the pitch. The further away, the lower the pitch. This other loop over here controls the volume, and you never actually touch it because we are emitting something, and it is able to detect it. In other words, there is more going on than we can see initially. So what you see is not all there is. Dr. Kahneman also refers to another doctor, uh, Roy Bollmeister, who is a, a highly cited scientific researcher. And Dr. Ballmeister concludes after a great deal of research that when it comes to human memory, bad is stronger than good. That's how our memory works. In other words, if someone says something bad to you, one person, that negative bad comment outweighs if five people say something nice or encouraging to you, that one bad comment is what you continue to remember and remember and remember. Imagine having a nice cold bowl of freshly cut watermelon. Oh, I had some the other day when it was really hot. I love it. It's so good. But then out comes one cockroach, and it ruins the whole bowl. That's what bad is stronger than good, when it comes to memory. And so no wonder when we are facing circumstances difficult, like Jeremiah, where he jumps to a conclusion, where he camps on the negative, like Jeremiah, no wonder we desire hope, and yet we have these things that are working against us. But then strangely, in the midst of this, in a couple of sentences, he says, I have lost hope in the Lord, but then a couple of sentences later, he says, I have hope. I have hope. I have hope. And why does he say that? Lamentations 3, verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's steadfast love, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His compassion never fails. It is new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. This I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His compassion never fails. It is new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. That's where we get that stalwart hymn from with the same title. Great is thy faithfulness. So hope in God, yes. Hope in the Lord, yes. But more particularly, more specifically, in the character of God. 
All of this turns on the character of God and more specifically on the Lord's faithfulness. His faithfulness, his steadfast love, his loyal love. He is loyal. He is permanently loyal. It's a loyal love, a faithful love. It's an always present, always love kind of God. He is faithful, even when we are not. His faithfulness doesn't depend on our faithfulness. His loyalty does not hinge on our loyalty. Even when Jeremiah says, dude, I have lost hope, the Lord says, I'm still here. I am still here. That is steadfast, loyal love. God and love are so central, so fundamental. God and love are like almost interchangeable. The gospel writer John, his, he fills his gospel writing with love. For God so loved over and over again, this steadfast love, loyal love, always faithful. By the time the gospel writer gets to 1 John chapter 4, he states it just real plainly. He just says, God is love. It's important. There is an entire book in the Old Testament. There's 66 books in our Bible a variety of genres. And it's interesting to me that in the Old Testament, there is a book called The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon. It's a romance novel in our Bible, and it's dedicated to demonstrating love and loyalty in the Trinity and between the Lord and His church and the people He's created. Love and loyalty. So friends, we have hope. The reason for our hope is because the Lord is faithful. In presence and in love, he is loyal. And implicit here, when Jeremiah writes this and says these words, implicit here is that God is a God who acts. He is not just an, outs uh, you know, an outsider or standing on the outside like a watchmaker who winds it up and then just watches. He is a God who acts. So uh, Israel and Jeremiah, can, they can literally get their hopes up because God is active. He acts in life, in the present. He's involved. So we can get our hopes up. In fact, his action is also intrinsic with his very being, who he is. He introduced himself often as the God who. Am I not the God who delivered you? Am I not the God who? I am the God who acts. Which is why he was so outraged in one instance for all these carved images that are just objects. He is alive and he is involved. And so we can have hope. We, the reason for our hope is because the Lord is faithful, always present, always loving, and his faithfulness is active. And what we see is not all there is. There is more. There is more. And it is the Lord. But how did Jeremiah get there? 
How did he turn from despair and bitterness and losing hope over to having hope? How did he go from this despair to this grandiose proclamation, I have, therefore I have hope? How did he get there? And do you notice right in the middle there of those sentences, verse 21, there's this golden key that, that shows and reveals. How did he get there? He says, this I call to mind. This I recall. I am choosing intentionally. I am deciding. I'm making a choice that I'm going to call this to mind. I need to call the Lord's faithfulness into my mind. I need to call his love, his steadfast, loyal love into my mind because there is so much garbage and so much other stuff happening right now that I need to do this. I need to call this intentionally into my mind. I need to remember this. This last week, I was hanging out with some people over at Tosh's house. And they were talking about something. And then they were talking about one particular event, and it was really cool. And they were saying, no, yeah. And they were talking about this. And so they're like, yeah, and I have a picture of it. You what? You have a picture of No, you got to see. We got to see this picture of this really good thing that happened. And so one of the people was on their phone, and they were going through it and getting to the pictures, and they're going through, and they're having a hard time finding it. And I know it's here, and I'm digging through, and no, it's not that. And, it's, and everybody's going, okay, all right, all right. And they're going through the phone, and finally there's like, oh, there it is. And they, this person went around and started showing everybody in the, look at that. Look at that. And they're like, whoa, look at that. Friends, that's what we have to do when it comes to the Lord's faithfulness and his presence and his love. We've got to do the work of recalling that to mind. We've got to do the work of recalling the good in the midst of the bad. Because bad is having its day. It's like the bully on the playground of our minds. And we are the people of good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to call that up. And be the people who are like that. Be the people who are good news. Be the people who are gospeling the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know what blows me away is that uh, Jeremiah says, This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. His compassion never fails. It is new every morning. And I'm going, every morning? Really? Right? Really? I mean, you just went through all this, and you're saying, like, every morning? I'm like, dude, how in the world, Right? How, did, how could he say that? And I believe it's because of the work, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who had been speaking to Jeremiah, who had been telling this to Jeremiah, who had been communicating this gospel. And Jeremiah was meant to tell the people of Israel this and to minister to the people of Israel this good news. Jeremiah was the one who the Lord actually disclosed the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
and that the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, he talked to Jeremiah about it, and that it would come upon us after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We are in that era now. And it is the Holy Spirit who is helping Jeremiah and helping us when we are finding it difficult to call up the faithfulness of the Lord and when we're finding it difficult to hear and find that. It is the Holy Spirit who is testifying to Jesus Christ and can help us find and recall to mind the faithfulness of the Lord. It's His will to do that. The Holy Spirit's will in John uh, chapter 7 and in other places. His will is to be our guide. His will is to lead us. His will is to show us, to be our emotional, mental, spiritual guide, to convict us and to lead us into the truth. And he testifies to Jesus Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's how Jeremiah could get to the place of noticing, wholly noticing the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Uh, you felt it earlier this morning. In that song that we were being led in. That one where you applauded afterwards. Right? That is the movement, the movement of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord has a message for you this morning, friends. And those that are joining us by live stream. You're not here by accident. Well, maybe you were brought here by a friend or told to watch live stream or you were brought here by a parent or a guardian, but you're here for a reason because the Lord has a message for you. He sees you. He knows your name. And He is with you. He is for you. He is faithful and He loves you. Lord's loving-kindness, His faithfulness. Can you imagine putting your hope in His character, in His faithfulness? Can you imagine that He is always present and always loving? Can you imagine that He will help you in life, that He will minister to you? Can you imagine to the point where you're willing to put your hope in Him, place your hope in Him? Can you imagine slowing down and asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, guide us. Remind us, Holy Spirit, of the Lord's faithfulness. Remind us of his steadfast love. Remind us of his presence. Holy Spirit. In Westview, can you imagine being a congregation, a people who embodies faithfulness, who embodies good news. I mean, regularly being good news in practical ways, encouraging each other and building each other up, bearing one another's burdens. Abide in him, abide in him. As we come to the communion table this morning, I want to invite our music team. 
to come and join us. God's character and his providence. Providence means the way he acts in the world. His faithfulness and his action are foundational to the gospel. Who he is and how he works in the world. And his character and how he works in the world culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. It is in the person of Jesus Christ that we see his faithfulness and his willingness to work in our lives, to be present in our lives. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So finally, the gospel good news needs to be embodied. We need to go to a place where we can actually see it and feel it and experience it. And so the good news gets embodied in Jesus Christ, but also in the church. The writer in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours because of Christ Jesus. Have Christ Jesus' mind and posture among yourselves, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be held onto but humbled himself, taking on the form of a slave and being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is faithfulness. That is action. That is providence. And in a moment, we're going to share communion together, and if you have this opportunity to prepare your elements, if you're live streaming, I hope you prepared them in advance, but if you haven't, please prepare them, and if it's crackers and juice or bread, whatever you have, prepare those elements. Who is participating in communion this morning? All of us that are gathered here and those on live stream are participating in one way or another. If you are a follower of Jesus and you say Jesus is Lord of my life, then you are invited to join in this Lord's table and participate with these elements. Maybe that's a decision you're making for the first time or renewing that decision this morning. We invite you also to participate in communion with us. But maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're unsettled, but you're still participating with us through observing what is going on. Even though you're not partaking of the elements, but through your observing, you're participating with us, and you are allowing the ministry of the Holy Spirit to work in your life. I invite you to bow your heads with me for a moment of prayer time together. And as we enter this Silent prayer time. The Holy Spirit is saying to you, 
I love you. I am here. The Holy Spirit might be saying to you and inviting you to place your hope in Him. What is it that you need to place your hope in Him? What is it that you need to let go to release and take that step and say, okay, all right. Give ear to our words, O Lord. Consider our meditation. Listen to the voice of our cries and our praise. We lift it to you, O Lord and our King. In the morning, we direct our prayers to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed. He had gathered with his disciples in Jerusalem. He took some bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to ask Reese to come and offer a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us everything. We want to remember your goodness and faithfulness to us. And we want to honor you with all the love in our hearts this morning for your most wonderful gift. For while we were still sinners, you died for us. You sent your son to be tortured and killed in the most brutal way and rose again that we might have communion with you, you who has no sin. Lord, we want to remember your sacrifice for us, not just today, but every day. And we want to honor you with our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for your most wonderful gift. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. the same way he took the cup also after supper and he said this is the cup of the new covenant it's a covenant of grace
It's the cup of the new covenant given in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Reese, would you offer a prayer of thanksgiving for the cup? Lord, what a gift. Lord, what a sacrifice. Lord, for all of us who are so unworthy, who have done nothing to receive your infinite grace, but call on your name. Lord, we thank you for this gift means now and in the future. We thank you for our sins washed away by your blood. And we thank you for your presence with us. And we honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. As we partake of the cup this morning, as it passes your lips and as you take it in, let it refresh you. Let this be a reminder of hope. Let this be a reminder of the Lord's faithfulness. Let's partake of the cup together.